So let's go ahead and get started. Somebody read for us uh, verse 1, just verse 1. All right. Uh, tell you what, anybody have anything different than Gadarenes in their translation? Gerasenes? Anybody have anything different? Okay, well, and I'll explain that to you here in just a second. Uh, where is the country of the Gerasenes or the Gadarenes? Or whatever it may be. That's really the million dollar question when it comes down to this, to this particular town. There's been a lot of debates. Um, Gadara, which, um, or, or Gursa, which is what the English Standard Version has in it, the uh, Gerasenes, it's 37 miles from the Sea of Galilee. So it doesn't seem like that's, that's where this is taking place unless they're talking about the region of Gerasa, which would have included parts of the sea. The other one, and this is what David read, is Gadara. That's another uh, translation that's used from the manuscripts. In the manuscripts, you have to understand, we don't have Mark's exact manuscript, okay? These are translations that have been laid down. That's why it's important for us to try to get to the oldest manuscripts, you see. Uh, but Gadara, that's still, you know several miles away it's not 37 miles away but there's another translation that we find and and it is here Gergesa Gergesa over here for those who can't see because of my board um, it's on the northeast shore of the lake so in 1970 there was a bulldozer it was cutting through some road on this eastern shore of uh, of the Sea of Galilee sorry about that and and they unearthed this they un unearthed some of these ancient remains and it's believed and it's here in the valley of Kersey and it is believed to be the city of Gergesa now the third century as early as the third century AD um, archaeology and and also church tradition said this was the site where this miracle takes place so it's not uncommon for a word, you know, with these cities and in these manuscripts, you, you know, you might find sometimes there's three different names that are given. Here's the important thing. Where it was isn't the important thing, <laughs> okay? So that's, that's the first thing we need to understand. All right. Now listen to uh, verses 2 through 5. I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to just listen very carefully. And when Jesus has stepped out of the, of the boat... Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. All right. We've read about demon possession before, right? Uh, this one's different. What sticks out to you about this, this man who's demon possessed? Yeah, it's superhuman strength, you know? This is not like, okay, this is just a guy who really works out on weights. This, this, 
this person has superhuman strength. It's breaking iron shackles. What else? The reason he cut himself was because of demons. The demons, and, and really it's a good question because what it's showing is the demons had control of this man's body, had full control. So it would, it, what the, you will find other places where we read about demon possession and they throw that person into the fire and they try to drown them and you can find some other places like this. This one, uh, it tries to cut them, right? Mutilate this body. What else? Yeah. And you kind of wonder, well, how did they kick him out? They can't, I mean, this, this thing's strong. But where is he living? He's living out in the tombs. That's an interesting thing. He, it shrieks all through the day and night. I mean, it, just, it must have been a horrible thing to even come anywhere close to this, this person. And, and I love the way it describes him in the text. It says that um, they tried to subdue him. They weren't successful. And that word subdue means to tame to overcome something wild or uncontrollable. So when we think of something that needs to be tamed, what do we think of? It's an animal. That's a description of this man who has all of these demons inside of him. He is described as an animal, and they're treating him like an animal by trying to chain him. Right? It's a wild animal rather than a human being. So I want you to see just just how terrible this thing is. So this, the story is filled with one unclean element after another. Uh, what kind of things do you see in here where you say, you know, to a Jew, this would be unclean? All right, what, what, all right let's talk about, go ahead, Rick. Okay, you have to live outside. So what else? Why would he be unclean, though? Tombs, okay. He's in an unclean place, right? He's out among the tombs. We'll talk about that in just a second. What else? He is also, and you may not know this, he is also in an unclean territory. Decapolis. Anybody know what Decapolis means? Deca means what? Ten, right. It's the ten cities. Uh, it's, it's all of these in black. All of these in black. Uh, all the way up to Damascus. These are known as the ten cities that made up Decapolis. Now, just a little side note, because I know you love uh, all these side notes. But at one time, this had been the territory of Israel. And it's not, and this was even after captivity. And some of you may remember, we've talked about this before, talking about the Maccabees in, bet in the in-between of the Testaments and they drove out the Greeks. Well, the Hasmonean kings, and I know it's hard to kind of see from here, the Hasmonean kings started with these uh, Maccabees. And when we hear about the Herods, guess what they come off of? They come off of the Maccabees. And it was this, this, this dynasty, this, this kingship. So in 63 B.C., uh, there was a Roman, uh, a, a Roman general by the name of Pompey. And he comes in and he, he takes this territory. And he not only takes over for the Hasmonean kings, but also the Greeks who are in the area as well. And guess who is excited about this? The Greeks. <laughs> because they didn't like these Hasmonean 
folks. They, they didn't care for Israel. They thought that circumcision was barbaric. They thought it was absurd to think there's only one God. The Jews felt the same way about the Greeks. They didn't like them being in their lands anyway, and they, and they worshiped pagans and, and you know, their, their sexual uh, appetites and things such as that. So they, were, they didn't like them there either. But regardless, um, we see that at 63 B.C., when Pompey comes in, it brings back that Greco-Roman life with all of its paganism and everything else. This became a Gentile territory. So it's an unclean territory. What else do we learn about the uncleanness? What does it call the, uh, the demons in this text? Unclean spirits, right? We've talked about that before. They're unholy before God. They're impure. I don't think we have to go any further than that, right? Um, and, and then we're going to find out, and, and let me say this about this, this unclean uh, place, I mean unclean territory. Um, no, 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 I want to get to the unclean animals. That's what I want to get to. Unclean animals. We haven't read about it yet, but probably many of you have read this story many times, and you know there's going to be some pigs, quite a few pigs, uh, and that was a no-no under the law. And according to Mishnah, uh, you couldn't even raise pigs. Uh, so, so this was just everything about where this is taking place is unclean. The Jew reads this story, and, and even though this is written to Gentiles, we know that Matthew talks about this and Luke talks about this. This was seen as a very unclean uh, and just a horrible place. So Jesus meets this man, and he's living in a Gentile territory. He's living among the tombs. He is filled with these unclean spirits, and he's surrounded by unclean animals. But what we often see with Jesus, rather than him being contaminated by the things that are unclean, he cleanses things. And that's what we're about to read. Somebody read for us verses 6 through 13. Okay. So Mark presents to us this dynamic conflict, right, between Jesus and these evil spirits. And we see that Jesus always wins those battles. But we, also we're to see this conflict. And to who, who is greater, who is more powerful. Now something, I don't know if you noticed as uh, Ethel was reading, but um, it kept speaking of the person in a singular and plural form. Did you notice that? Why does it do that? Yeah, you got all these demons inside, and they're speaking through this man. It's like I said, he controls, the demons control the man. He not only makes them hurt themselves, but also speaks through these people as well. And how many were in there? What does it say? Legion. Yeah. So he said, what's your name? He said, Legion. All right, that's not his name, really. That's re it's really more of a description. Anybody, anybody, what is Legion? Do what? About 2,000? Say that again? Yeah, yeah. This was a Roman army division, a legion. 
and it was made up of 5,600 foot soldiers and 120 uh, horsemen. Now, it doesn't mean that's exactly how many were inside of this man, uh, but we do know that they cover 2,000 pigs, right? We do know that. Um, so there are lots. There are uh, thousands of these, these demons, which it also explains to us the superhuman strength and the things that it was able to do. And this thing was just absolutely vile. It was just, it was terrible. Uh, I think the name Legion also adds kind of to the militant aspect, doesn't it, uh, of what's happening here. And so Mark brings us face to face with these, these evil spirits. And it wasn't, you know, it was less than a century before that there was all kind of battles that were going on right here in this place. And now we see the greatest battle of all, which is God versus thousands of demons. Okay? Um, but they're not as tough as it may appear, or at least when it comes to Jesus. We know what it's able to do to this man. So how did they react when they rushed Jesus? Yeah, they, they fell down, right? They fell down. We've seen this word before. It means to prostrate oneself uh, in the presence of divine or supernatural. It's a sign of deference and worship. Now, this would have been false worship, and I really believe what they're doing is they're trying to... Um, to play to Jesus to get what they want, okay? Because we know that they're, they're a little bit different than something we, that we've seen so far. So they attempt to control Jesus. And one of the ways we know that they try to control Jesus is they call his name. Now, we've talked about this before. And they refer to him as Jesus, son of the most high God. And in that culture, when you knew someone's name, it was a way of, of saying that you had power over them in some semblance uh, when you knew their name. So in Judaism, most high God, that was the term that was used of the God who is over these pagan gods and idols. So here are these demons that, by the way, I believe have absolutely everything to do with idolatry and, and what was happening there. And they are, they are trying to call on Jesus. They're trying to call on his name. They're trying to get some kind of, of something here. And it says, the, new, the English Standard Version says that they adjure Jesus. Okay? I looked that word up. Because I don't use that word adjure all the time. And it's a word that means to authoritatively bind a solemn obligation or promissory responsibility upon someone with God as witness. In other words, they want Jesus to swear to God that he will not torment them or destroy them. Which is ironic. Why? Do what? Do what? Yeah, he destroys them, but what else about these demons? Do they have a problem with tormenting people? No. No, they've been, poor, they've been doing this to this poor guy for a long time. Uh, Something else I think it's important is, did you notice how the demons, when they are negotiating here, they do not want to be sent out of the country? Why do you think they want to stay in this area? Do what? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's an unclean place. They felt right at home in this place. 
yeah, paganism, uh, the uncleanliness, uh, all this kind of stuff. They, they felt like this was, a, this was a good place for them. Um, they kind of saw it as their territory. And so they tried to compromise with Jesus. And what is the compromise? Yeah. Yeah. Take us from this man, this human, and send us into these pigs. Uh, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, why do they want to go in the pigs? Pigs are unclean too? Didn't want to be destroyed? Those are all good. Yes. Right. And I, and I don't know how much they knew about what was coming, but they, they were like, well, just send us into the pigs. Now, here's something that we learn about uh, demons. Not that we know a whole lot about these, these vile creatures, but one of the things that we learn about them is they do not like emptiness. Okay? In Matthew and Luke... This is what it says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Luke says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. So, they do not like dry places, which evidently are these places of emptiness. They, they want to inhabit something. And they'd rather have a human, but they, they probably know Jesus is not going to put them back into a human. So they say, at least send us into the pigs. Okay? So that kind of gives a little bit of that explanation um, as well. So surprisingly, what does Jesus do? He does what they ask. And he, he sends them into these pigs... And it leads to this climatic end, right? Um, these creatures um, made any living being go chaotic. They made them go into this frenzic stage. And isn't this what happens here? So the legion force leaves the man's body and goes where? into these, this herd of 2,000 pigs. This herd of 2,000 pigs. And they become these kamikaze demons. <laughs> right? What do they do? They head to the lake. And they, and they drown. Now, there's a ridge. This is, this is the, the traditional site of, of Gergesa. And so you see all these high ridges and these high mountains. And so it, they, there's areas just to the south of Gergesa that it would have basically gone down into the sea. But it, you, just, you can see them just coming off of this bluff and into the waters, and, and they drowned. Now, from a Jewish perspective, what, how do you think they see this, this account? They saw it as a joke. 
And I don't mean as a joke in that this didn't happen, but this was funny to them. Because, why? These unclean spirits are taking out uh, these unclean animals. In other words, what's, what's our saying? You kill two birds with one stone, right? So Jesus, in, cast, in healing this man, he sends him into the pigs. And the demons and the pigs, uh, there they go. So this would have been um, a financial disaster, don't you think, for the pig herders? I don't know what the going rate for a pig was in those days and day and time, but I imagine 10,000, I mean, uh, 2,000 pigs, that would, have, that would have been a pretty major incident. Um, they would not have been living high off the hog after that, right? I know, I, I know. It doesn't get any better. All right, let's keep going. Somebody read for us verses 14 through 17. Oh, yeah. Huh. I'm going to... Right. You know, if this were Alabama, uh, we might do that. Of course, we prefer ours off the road. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I, I kind of think they wouldn't have. And the reason is, I think they would have been scared to death to eat this pig because of they know what's in it, right? Um, you know, look, it's just like animals on the road. You've got to get it fresh, right? You just, you can't, you know what I'm talking about. All right, that's a good question, though. It's a good question. Um, Okay, somebody read for us verses 14 through 17. All right, so the story suddenly switches from this human and pigs, and it goes to the locals. So these herdsmen, they rush back into the town, or towns, or whatever it is, and they tell them what's happened, right? And they want to come out and see, and they come out and see, and they see this man who they have known, that has, everybody knew this man. They had tried to bind this, this man with all of these creatures in him. This guy had wreaked havoc. This man who had mutilated himself, the man who, they, they, if anyone came close, they could hear him screeching in the day and into the night. This, this man who, uh, living out here among the tombs, and they come out there, and what, what do they see? when they see this man? What does he look like? Yeah, which also tells us something else, right? Little tidbit. He had been naked. Uh, so he's, he's dressed. And he's in his right mind. And he's, he's sitting there in this calm, in this peace. And what's interesting is the reaction of the townspeople. How do they react? They're scared. What are they scared of? I, yeah, I, I absolutely do. I, I don't think they're afraid of because of what happened to the pigs. If you read it, what scares them is seeing this man in his right mind. And, you, and it makes you sit back and kind of scratch your head a little bit and say, seriously, 
this is what scares you. <laughs> is this man and he's sitting in his right mind. But it goes back to this power. What had they tried to do? They tried to restrain this man. I mean, you've got to imagine how many people probably had come out and how many times they tried to restrain him, put these iron shackles on this guy and come out and, and he's, he breaks them. And so they see Jesus as what? He's a greater power than this, these creatures that had inhabited this man. So Jesus comes out and he just, you know, basically with a single word, he casts out this demon. And, and something that it shows us is something we've already talked about. Jesus has come, you remember this back in chapter 3, what has he come to do? He, he has come to enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods, alright? And so here's Jesus, and, and he's doing exactly what we find. And he, he is plundering the strong man's house, Satan, and his demons. Right? He binds the strong man. He pillages his house. Think about that. What Jesus says that he came to do, here's another example where that is absolutely the case. So the Son of Man is greater, right? Jesus is greater than the strong man. He's greater than Satan. He's greater than the demons. And Jesus has come to liberate humanity from evil. That's, that's what he's showing here. Even, even one who has thousands of these evil creatures inside of them, Jesus has come to calm. So these people have never seen a force like this, as you can imagine. Right? They're more afraid of Jesus' power to cast out demons than they were of the demons. Now, does that sound familiar from story number one? They were more afraid, the disciples of Jesus were more afraid of Jesus' power to calm the storm than they were of the storm itself. And here, once again, this power that is being experienced through Jesus, it is the power of God. It is something that they had never ever seen or heard before. So last week we see that these disciples, remember the disciples, they are, um, they are at the storm at sea, they are, remember the chaotic waters, not the chaotic, chaotic waters, oops, I'm just messing this whole thing up. So we have these chaotic waters, and now we have this, this chaotic spirits or demons, and Jesus, in both of these case, cases, he brings order, right? Jesus is bringing order to chaos. You look at this man and what's happening inside of this man and what's been going on inside of this man with these demons and he has been in absolute chaos absolute destruction in his life 
he feels like he has no control because he has no control. Other people have tried to bring control. They couldn't bring, bring control. Do the townspeople at least bring out their sick and demon-possessed? No. What do they do? They want Jesus to leave. They, yeah, they don't understand. They, they, don't, they don't. They really don't understand. They're more comfortable with evil forces that have taken captive of a human being than they are of Jesus who can expel them. And really it shows us the human heart, doesn't it? It really shows us the human heart. Many want to keep the power that Jesus offers at arm's length. All right, so let's, let's keep going. Ladder. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what do we do when we, ha when we have this inner turmoil in our lives normally? Yeah. Or we try to control it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good observations. Okay, look at verses 18 through 20. Somebody want to finish this out here? 18 through 20. All right. So, we see that um, these people, they're afraid of Jesus. They want him to go. But the man who had been demon-possessed and liberated, he wants Jesus, he wants to go with Jesus, right? And once again, we discover in Mark, because if you don't know this, Mark is heavy, heavy into discipleship. And one thing we see about discipleship is one who sits at the feet of Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. Anyone who says, I am a disciple of Jesus, that's the first question they have to ask themselves. Do I want to be with Jesus? Do I, do I want to learn from Jesus? And, and, and I think that's a very important question that we have to ask ourselves. In, in fact, if, if you ask people, why are you a Christian? I think a lot of people say, because I want to go to heaven. We should say, or at least be a part of that, that, that I desire Jesus. That's why I want to be with Jesus. So there's a surprising twist. He asks Jesus, he says, let me go with you. And what does Jesus say? He says, no. What's up with that? I mean, all right, so you, you had, you had the, the demons, and they asked Jesus if they can go into the pigs. What did Jesus do? Let them go into the pigs, right? The town people tell Jesus, we want you to go. And what is Jesus going to do? He's going to go. And so the one person who wants to be with Jesus, he says, no. I am not allowing your request. It's interesting, isn't it? And who knows, we're not given the exact reason why. Uh, maybe there would be a problem with Jesus taking this Gentile with him in this mission to the lost sheep of Israel. 
Okay, that's the mission in the beginning, right? Um, you know, maybe it was uh, so that this man, he'd been without family, had been without friends, had been without a social life. Maybe, you know, he can enjoy this. But, but it may be, I believe, something much bigger. Um, when, when Jesus normally would heal someone, or often when he would heal someone, what did he tell them? He'd tell them, shh, right? Remember us talking about that before? He'd tell them, be quiet. Uh, is it because here's this guy and he's in the area of Decapolis? He is in this Gentile region. That he's not worried about them coming and trying to make him king. Um, that wouldn't make sense either because a couple of chapters over, we learn Jesus is going to heal a man in Decapolis and he's going to tell him, don't tell anyone. So it's like, what is the purpose? I think it has to do with the people want Jesus to leave. He grants their wish but he is going to leave his presence there. The infamous demonic man, he is left to disciple. He is there to proclaim God's mercy. Okay, we talk about this, these songs that we sing sometimes and they're so simple and, and maybe they seem like kids' songs. Think about the song we're, we're learning. Said I wasn't going to tell anybody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. What the Lord has done for me. And he says, you ought to have been there when he saved my soul. You ought to have been there when he put my name on the roll. You see, it's a simple song, but it's one that we don't do very well sometimes. We're, we're to proclaim the mercy of God in our life. What has he done for me? And I think that's important. And note in the retelling of the miracle, it says that he is to share um, the Lord, right? Share what? The Lord. And then he goes on, and what does it say he shares? Jesus. The Lord. God is Jesus. Tell what the Lord has done for you. Tell what God has done for you. And he tells about Jesus. Mark is telling us Jesus is God. When Jesus acts, God acts. That's what this, this whole thing is about. So the first missionary, get this, the very first missionary in the Gospel of Mark is who? It's a Gentile that has been sent to proclaim God's mercy to Gentiles. The very first person sent. And remember, it's, it's about the lost sheep of Israel. But the very first missionary he sends out, it's a Gentile. Two Gentiles. That's pretty powerful stuff. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we just ask you to uh, allow us to absorb these things and what they mean to us in our lives. Help us, Father, to see that what you have done for us and that we join you and that we desire you to sit at your feet and to be in awe of, of how you've saved us, how you've delivered us from the world into darkness and evil and our own sinfulness. And Father, we just pray that, that we will be your messengers and we will go and we will 
we will share that message with those who are still, they're still bound by the world. They're still bound by Satan. Father, help them, these people in our lives. I know many in here, you, you probably have people in your mind right now. Father, all of those that are there in our minds and our hearts, the people that we've been trying to talk with, the people we've been afraid to talk with, Father, give us courage. And Father, give them a heart that is soft and that is open to see what you've come to do for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.